Ezekiel 47, verse 1. I want to talk to you tonight, this morning. Let's get the time zone right. I want to talk to you this morning about fresh water in the ocean. Verse 1. The man, that's an angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate and he led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the river had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand on the shore from En Gedi to En Eglam. And there, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the, of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for healing. There's an amazing prophecy in the Scriptures, and we're here in, I think, week three of our series on mission. And I want to talk to you tonight, this morning, got to get it right. I got to talk to you this morning from this passage of Scripture about fresh water in the ocean. It's an amazing thing to note, but beginning in, in chapter 40 of Ezekiel, all the way through till here in chapter 47, and the book is about to end, the remaining passages, this whole chunk of Scripture from Ezekiel 40 right through to the end is the angel guiding the prophet through the temple and the, the, the affairs of worship. In fact, if you were to go back into chapter 46, you would find a verse of Scripture that I preached from only about five weeks ago, a message entitled, You Cannot Leave the Way You Came In. And we remarked in a series of worship that whenever God restores His people, He always institutes a process and a system of worship. And it's amazing that we spent weeks in the life of our church devoted to this topic and this thought of worship. And, and now here we are in a new series of messages, literally back where when we were last time in the book of Ezekiel, we are literally picking up where we left off. We preached from Ezekiel 46 on worship, and this morning we're preaching from Ezekiel 47 on mission. Our last topic of messages as a church was on this topic of worship. Our new topic of messages is on this thought of mission, and I believe that God is speaking. 
It's amazing because if you were to read Ezekiel 40 through 46, you would find God saying, this is how I want you to worship. This is how I want you to enter the temple. This is what I want you to do when you're in the temple. This is about how you go through the affairs of your worship in the temple. And then here we find in Ezekiel 47 that the Bible says that the angel brings the prophet back to the entrance of the temple because all worship will eventually lead you back to the entrance of the temple. Any worship we ever kind of engage in or adhere to or uh, attempted to subscribe in that makes us think that our Christian lives are supposed to be just in the temple is false worship. God brings you to Him to always get you back out the temple again to get us into the place of our community. Can you say amen this morning? It's an amazing prophecy because it literally says here in Ezekiel 47 that flowing from the altar, there begins a river. Isn't it amazing that the river begins at the altar? The river begins to flow at the altar. There's always a river that begins to flow whenever people come and connect with God in worship. If we ever come to the altar and offer up worship and no river begins to flow, then I think we've got to look at the quality or the reality, the sincerity of our worship because worship will always cause a river to flow. Can I get an amen this morning? The Bible says that it flows from the altar to the threshold of the temple and then the river continues to flow out into the sea. And, and what I want you to notice first about this passage of Scripture, my friends, is that there is a river. There is a river. In fact, every time you find God moving in the lives of people, you're always going to find a river. Every time God turns up, any environment God is in, there is always a river. In fact, in Psalm 36 verse 8, it's described as the river of delights. I like that one. In Psalm 46 verse 4, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the people of God, the city of God, the most holy place where God dwells. Wherever you find God in the Bible, you find a river flowing. The river always flows. It flows in the garden in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. It says that in the Garden of Eden, where God dwelt, there was a river and it separated into four different pathways. It says in heaven, there is a river. Oh my gosh, it's, it's in the garden. It's in Ezekiel's prophecy. The, God, the river's gonna be in heaven. It says in Revelation 22 verse one, that the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now note that, and of the Lamb, flowing through the middle of the street to the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with 12 different kinds of fruit, with fruit for each month. So it says in Ezekiel that it's, there'll be an abundance of trees and each month there'll bear fruit. In Revelation, they're still there, still bearing fruit. The leaves of the trees will be for the healing of the nations. I want you to understand that these trees and this river were in the Garden of Eden. It's prophesied in Ezekiel. It's again in heaven. This is a very significant river, my friends. The next thing I want you to note about this river is that trees are planted by the river. Now, trees in the Bible are always significant because it's either the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or most often in the Bible, when you see trees, they're pictures of believers. It literally says in one passage of Scripture that we are olive trees. It says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a? Somebody shout it. He is like a? So we're like trees. Turn the person next to you and say, you're like a tree, dude. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. Isaiah 61, verse 3, talking about believers. It says, you will be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. What's amazing about this passage is that we've got a river that flows from God. We've got trees planted on the banks of the river. You and I are the trees. And the Bible says that every month, every season of the year, that you and I will bear fruit. Man, you know what that shows me? More important than the season of life you're going through is what you're planted next to. Oh, man. That doesn't matter. I I can be 16 or 64, but I'm going to bear fruit in every season of my life. It might be summer in my life and I'm hanging by the beach, or it could be the worst autumn your life has ever had in the midst of reversal. But you'll bear fruit in every season. If you plant it next to God's river. Man, that's encouraging. The river, the Bible says, gets deeper the further it gets from the temple. Now, this is where we've got to stop. Because it says that the further you take this river from the temple, the deeper the river is going to become. Now, unless in the natural, unless you have a significant tributary, unless there's some other streams that are coming along, this literally does not happen. This this is just something that in nature never takes place. There is no such thing as a river that the further it gets from its source gets deeper. In fact, a river, its depth is normally limited by its source. That's why here in New Zealand, we understand the Waikato River the mighty Waikato River that has its source in Lake Taupo. So because of its source, we have a mighty river. The size of the source will always be the greatest size of the river, yet not in God's kingdom. Because here the Bible says that we have a river that when it leaves the throne of God is only ankle deep. And people know this is hardly a river. We can call that a a creek. It's ankle deep, but then you go another thousand cubits, however far that is, and now it's knee deep, another thousand cubits, and it's waist deep, and another thousand cubits, you gotta swim to get from one side of the river to the other. In the laws of nature, this river is literally impossible. It does not happen. It's a a non-reality. But here we find that God is saying that this river that flows from His throne is going to get deeper the further it goes away from the throne room of God. Why? Why is that? How can that be? But we start to realize, my friends, that whenever we're speaking about something that's origins are in God, we understand that it doesn't come from natural laws, but from supernatural laws. So even though naturally this doesn't happen, biologically this doesn't happen, or whatever science it's called when you're looking at nature, even though it doesn't happen in the natural, it happens in the spiritual because God said it so. And the reason why is that this river is not a natural river, but is a supernatural river. It flows deeper the further it gets from the temple. This doesn't make sense until you and I start to realize that this river is so very powerful. This river is literally the source of our message this morning. This river is what you and I are called as believers to be custodians over. God's looking at you and I 
to govern this river, to, to work with this river, to usher this river, to lead this river. And we find about this river that it starts at the throne of God and it's only ankle deep, a thousand cubits out, but it's knee deep, 2,000 cubits, and waist deep, 3,000 cubits. And I want you to understand that this river that you and I are called to be custodians over, it's, it's not just a prophecy about a river. It's not just a, a picture of a river. It's a prophecy of something that is about to take place. Because the Bible says that beginning at the altar, a river begins. And the river flows deeper the further it gets from the throne room of God. But I want you to understand that the Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, that the lamb who was to be thrown, slain was made an offering for us. That Jesus was placed upon the hill of Calvary. That they nailed his arms out wide, they nailed his feet to the cross, and they took a spear and they put it into his side. And from his side came what? Blood and water. So from the side of Jesus came a river. The river is seen in the book of Revelation 22, where it says that the lamb is seated upon the throne. The lamb is seated upon the throne. I said the lamb is seated upon the throne. And from the throne, there comes a river. So I want you to understand that Jesus was split open and from his side came blood and water. See, Ezekiel, Leviticus, Leviticus 17, verse 11, it's gonna come up on the screen. Leviticus 17, 11 says that the life of the creature is in its blood. So the life of Jesus was in his blood. That's why the, the Old Testament believers were never allowed to drink blood because God said, no, 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 you've got to understand the significance of blood. Blood represents life. When Jesus' blood was shed, His life was poured out. His blood has covered us. His blood has made us alive in Him. The blood's over our door. Judgments pass us by. So the blood came out and the water came out. So the water is the, is the river and the blood is the life. So the river that flows from the throne of God, from the altar in this passage is a living water. Wow. And that's what you and I are called to carry. Living water. Living water. Jesus said about this water, if anybody drinks the water, oh my gosh. If you drink the water that I give to you, it will become in you a, a river of living water, a well that will literally overflow into eternal life. Wow. This is the river and this is the water. And you and I are called to be carriers of this water. See, I want you to understand that there's a reason why every thousand cubits the river needs to get deeper. Because there are people out there the river is the river of grace. That He covers us. He covers our sin. He covers our transgression. He covers us our wrongs. He makes us right with Him. How many people are grateful for a river of grace? Anybody just want to take a dive into the river of grace some days? But there are some people who only need ankle deep grace because they were raised a thousand cubits from the temple. I mean, think about, I think about my own life. I grew up in a Christian family. I went to a Christian school for five years. When I, when I, I mean, I'm literalized, I literally memorized my first psalm when I was six years old. I was telling my kids that yesterday. Um, you know, 
been prayed for by the who's who in the Christian zoo. You, you know what I mean? It's, I grew up sleeping in sleeping bags under the back row of the church service. You, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've never seen my parents have a disagreement, like a, a fight, never, a disagreement, no, in my whole life. I mean, uh, to this day, I mean, I've had quality time with my dad. Do you know what I mean? I mean, at home, at the workplace, at the sports things. I've had an ideal upbringing. I mean, we didn't have truckloads of money, but, you know, we had food on the table and we had a great life. So then when I was 13, I walked away from God. I walked into the world. So I did the things that people did in the world. Then I drank and I smoked and I, I, uh, you know, never addicted to it, but, you know, you try to be cool. And, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I swore like a trooper, like everybody does in the world. I had a mullet. Like everybody who really needs an intervention in their life. So come on, let's get real about it though. But at the age of 18, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now the reality is I gave my life to Christ on May the 12th, but I woke up the next morning. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't swear. I started tithing from day one that I became a Christian have done ever since, and God blessed me with three pay rises in six months after I became a Christian, which is just amazing. Probably change in attitude and the blessing of God. You give to God, He'll always outgive you. So here I am. I mean, I, I don't drink, don't smoke, I don't, I don't swear. And my whole life changed overnight. But let's be honest with you, church, and say coming from that kind of upbringing, I only needed ankle-deep grace. I grew up a thousand cubits from the temple. But how many people know that there are people who live in our community who didn't grow up a thousand cubits from the temple? Come on, somebody. Come on. They don't know what it is to have a sleeping bag under a church pew. No one gave them a hymn. Nobody gave them quality time with the Father. They've grown up in neglect and abuse and difficulty and adversity. Never heard the word of Jesus. Walk into this service. How many people are grateful it doesn't matter where you've come from, how bad your past is, how messed up your yesterday was. When you walk into the doors of a church, there's grace enough for you. Somebody give that God some praise in this church this morning. In Capity, give Him praise. He's got grace enough for you. And man, we need a revelation of a church that doesn't just have, see, see, many Christians have only got ankle deep grace. They do, don't they? Well, they, they said they found Jesus. I heard them drop the, J, the, the F word just the other day and they, they said they found Jesus. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, when I became a Christian, it was like I survived in the church, to be honest with you, because I only needed ankle deep grace. Because even then there were people in the church, literally this one guy, and John O'Fletcher will know exactly the guy I'm thinking of when I say this, but there was one guy who used to just try and wind me up every time we're at a youth group event because God's been working on me for 20 years and I still have a temper. So back then you can imagine like the fuse was only, you just had to get the match near it and it was going to... So he'd just, you know, he'd just push me, start pushing me, and then I'd snap, and they'd be like, oh, oh, John, come on, we're Christians here. Come on. Who even know there were people that walked in that youth group and bounced out of that youth group? Why? Because you need more than ankle deep grace, church. We need, some, we need some knee deep grace. We need some waist deep grace. We need some man, you can swim in it kind of grace. 
There are people that are only going to be one to Jesus in our church unless they find some grace that they can swim in. You grew up a long way from the temple, but you can swim in this grace. You can find the God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance. Oh man, He loves you to cover your faults. Because the river has got enough depth for everybody. See, that's the kind of church I want to pastor. I want to pastor the kind of church where believers have got enough grace for everybody, no matter what they've come from. No matter how Christian they are. Whether you think, still think Jesus is the word they use when they stub their toe. We need enough grace to cover every person. And then we've got to fix that stuff. But I want you to understand that God's got enough grace. Oh man, I want you to understand that in verse eight, this passage tells us that the river, it flows into the ocean. This is so fundamental. So fundamental. Church, I don't know. I don't know, maybe this is just simple, but can we just stop and just say this, that it's the destiny of every river to reach the ocean. I, I know it's simple, but I'm a simple man. But whenever you see a river on the earth and you're wondering, I wonder where that river goes. You can know that that river is destined for the ocean. The ocean. There's only one place where rivers are supposed to end up, right? They're supposed to end up in the ocean. But you know, so many Christians kind of have this mindset, like the river is to be protected from the ocean. See, the river, the river is the move of God, and the ocean is the world. And so there are literally whole camps of Christianity that are out there trying to build dams to keep the river out of the ocean. We just got to keep the river out of the ocean. Man, don't let the ocean get in here. Oh my gosh, do not let the ocean get, that's the, that's the world getting in here. That's the ocean getting in here. I want you to understand that it's not our job as believers to keep the, the, the river out of the ocean. God's trying to get the river in the ocean. The whole purpose of the river is to get to the ocean. The river only exists for one purpose, to collide with the ocean. See, literally the plan and purpose of God for us as believers is that we would get fresh water in the ocean. Because when fresh water hits the ocean is when the things really begin to take place. But I want you to understand that so many believers spend their time trying to guard the river, protect the river, dam the river, stop it from making the river, uh, the, the river more salty. Like somehow, if we're not careful, the salt water from the ocean is gonna get into the river and ruin it. Listen, the only way you can ruin a river is to ruin its source. See, James 1 says, how can salt water and fresh water come from the same spring. It's not possible. Because if the spring is fresh, what flows from it will always be fresh. And how many people know Jesus has got living water? You can't beat Jesus. The devil can't overcome Jesus. Oh man, the world can't conquer Jesus. 
The water coming from Jesus is always going to be fresh water, always going to be living water. Darkness can't overcome light. Come on, my friend. Jesus is victorious. And there is living water flowing from Jesus. We don't need to protect Jesus. Listen, we don't need to protect the church. Come on, we have bad names for believers who end up trying to hold out like a little fortress away from the world. Oh man, because it's getting dark. Haven't you heard? It's getting bad. The Antichrist is coming. Henry Kissinger's in a wheelchair, yet when I grew up, he was going to conquer the world and become the Antichrist. Remember those days? No one here does, but the people in the balcony might. Thank you for a few ways from the back corner. You don't need to be fearful of the world. We don't need to be fearful of the world. Because whenever, see, the thing is, my friends, listen, what's the church, what's supposed to protect the church? The very thing I'm talking about here. It's amazing when you start to look at the scriptures and the pictures of the church, there's only one type of church that God is building and it is a church that enters the ocean. And listen, everything it touches when it enters the ocean becomes fresh. Not the other way around. The fresh water stays fresh, but the the seawater becomes fresh too. And things that were dead become alive again. See, the fish couldn't live, but now they can. The life wasn't possible, but now it is. I'm telling you, when the river hits the ocean, it brings life to everything it touches, not the other way around. And God doesn't want us damming up the river and stopping it from reaching the ocean. See, let's jump metaphors and make the church now no longer a river, but a city. When you find cities representing the church in the Bible, it's in Psalm, Isaiah 26 verse 12 and in Isaiah 60 verse 3. And it says in both passages of Scripture that God makes the walls of Jerusalem salvation and its gates praise. Its walls salvation. Its walls salvation. What's that? People in the world finding Jesus become the next wall of the church. It's a picture of an organism, of a thing so rapidly growing that you can't build a wall around it because the next person who joined it becomes the new outer layer and then the next person who joins it becomes the new outer layer and it's just continually expanding and keeps on growing. We're not here to hunker down. We're here to push forward. Somebody give a Lord a shout of praise in this church this morning. Oh, man. See, we give bad names. We give bad names to rivers that don't reach the ocean. We don't think about them well. See, what what name do you give to a river that doesn't meet the ocean? Well, it's amazing because it's right here in your scriptures this morning. If you read verse 11, it says, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be for salt. In other words, if the river is flowing towards the ocean and it's not empowered, if it's not enabled, if it's restricted from hitting the ocean, then the Bible says that its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. See, I love rivers. Anybody else? I love the hut river this time of year, or the leaves fall into the river. I, I, I love the, you know, I love the ocean. Been up in Cadbury just the other day. Love standing beside the ocean. We live kind of close to the ocean. Love the ocean. I love rivers. But how many people here would go, man, my dream holiday destination is next to a swamp? Nobody? Not a single hand? 
Unless you're into spotting native birds or duck hunting, swamps are just not fun. I mean, they're putrid, aren't they? They smell. It's the smell. I mean, there's nothing nice about it. Listen, you can drink the water from God's river, but you can't drink the water from a swamp. It's, it's unclean. It's settled. It's contaminated. And my friends, what happens to the church is when the church stops letting the river meet the ocean, we build swamps and we build marshes and God says, you're never gonna have an impact. There's not gonna be any fresh water come from you keeping the river to yourself. Why? Because the move of God happens for the church. It doesn't happen to the church. See, God never moves just so that we can just kind of enjoy a little tingle in our worship experience this morning. He worships for us so that then we can take it into the world that's around us. He only ever gets to us so that He can get through us. Come on, man. See, swamps are not good places. I reckon there are in the world today. I'm just preaching it like I see it. But I reckon in the world today, there are what I like to call Burwood churches. It's a suburb in Christchurch. My mum and dad used to live there. My brother lived there, 50 meters from one another on the same street in a beautiful subdivision. Nice manicured lawns as you find in Christchurch, wide streets, wide open enclosures. It must be the San Diego Zoo. None of them, I mean, you know, it's just, it was a beautiful area, parks, modern parks, cycle tracks, all these nice houses. They're all new, double glazing, you know, central heating, lovely homes. Everybody's living in Burwood. Everyone's happy in Burwood, not knowing that Burwood was built on a swamp. And I reckon sometimes everything looks good when you build on a swamp. But God's not building a church that can be shaken. He's not building churches on swamps. He doesn't want us just thinking about, well, the water's flowing in here and there's a great tingle here and the children's programs are good here. So let's just enjoy our little swamp experience and let's all just keep on taking and keep on taking and keep on taking. But no, 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 let's not hit the ocean. And God says, no, hang on a minute. You watch what's going on because you built your church on a swamp. You built it like Burwood and the first earthquake that comes along, it turns Burwood into a ghost town and churches that go through lumpy patches and become ghost towns are ones that were built on swamps and not beside rivers. God wants us hit in the ocean, church. Come on, our defense isn't hitting the ocean. Our impact isn't hitting the ocean. Our destiny is hitting the ocean. God put us here to change the world, to impact humanity, to be part of the answer and not part of the problem. Come on, somebody. He put us here to change this world for Jesus. It says there'll be for swamp. Now, salts, the swamps will be for salt. Now, in the New Testament, we know that salt means good things. But in the Old Testament, salt means bad things. Sodom got turned into salt. Lot's wife got turned into salt. And it says, if you let the river get to you, but don't let it get out from you, if the river doesn't touch the ocean, you become salt. not good. So God's saying to us, He's saying our whole mandate is to reach the ocean. And then it says in verse eight, the second half of the verse eight, it says, when it empties into the sea, 
the ocean. The water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. See, this is amazing, isn't it? Where the river flows, there'll be large numbers of fish. There'll be places with fishermen with their nets. They'll make the salt water fresh. Where the river flows, everything is gonna live. In other words, the real impact of the river is not in the river. The real transformation, the real metamorphosis, the real night and day is between where the river has touched the ocean and where the river hasn't touched the ocean because where the river touches the ocean, everything comes alive. I don't know about you, but I want everything in my community to come alive. I want everything in my school to come alive. I want everything in my neighborhood to come alive. I want everything and everything that we touch as a church family to come alive because of God's grace. In verse 10, it says that fishermen will stand along the shores. Remember that Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. So the river is the ocean. Sorry, the river is the church and the ocean is the world. The river started at the cross. The river flows to every believer, every oak of righteousness. He blesses your life every day that you're here on this planet. He brings you abundance of fruit and joy and even your leaves, your words will heal your neighbors, bless your communities. Everything about us is called to be a testimony to God's blessing and His possible healing. And then it says that when this water touches the ocean, that the river enters the ocean and that there is a great catch of fish. Jesus said, I'll make you fishes of men because when the river of His grace that started at the cross of Calvary reaches into my my life, through my life, and touches the lives of people around me, then the Bible says that their lives will become fresh and that there'll be a great catch of fish. And God is wanting you and I to be fishers of men and to see people in our community come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives. That's our mission. Anybody here realizing this morning that we're on a mission from God? to get the river into the ocean so the fish can be caught, so we can change a community and see altars filled with people finding Jesus. Oh man. So you you can just stand on the shoreline with a net and catch these fish. I mean, that would probably interest me. I mean, you can keep your rod in line. You know what I'm saying? They shouldn't call that fishing. They should call that waiting. But if you can get a net, throw it in, just pull it in, it's full of fish. Now we're talking. Now we've got some action. Now we've got some ever-present reality. You know, I'm up for this kind of fishing. And Jesus said, when this river is touching the ocean, or the Bible says, when the river is touching the ocean all the time, that there is just gonna be an abundance of fish that are there to be caught. Now, this is the thing. If we believe that a river is touching the ocean, but there's no fish being caught, then we've got to ask ourselves a question. Is it a river or is it a swamp? I'm so glad to pastor a church where every single Sunday people are making decisions for Jesus Christ. This year already, we're well, well, well past 1,000 people making a decision for Christ in a Rise Church service. Can we give the Lord some praise for that? It's amazing. And the reason, Cappity, why there are people all over the balcony of this venue is because we are growing with new believers who are finding Jesus. If there's grace enough, come on. 
If there's grace enough, if the river touches the ocean. The catch of the fish is what we're all about. We are to be salt that flavors the world. We are to be a light that illuminates the world. We are to be fresh water that brings life to the ocean. Now, Revelation chapter 13, let me lead you with this. Revelation 13 gives a picture of a dragon, which is the devil. And it's gonna come up on the screen, but it says in Revelation 13, one, that the dragon stands on the shoreline. The fishermen stand on the shoreline. But the Bible also says that the dragon, the devil, stands on the shoreline. Why? Because he can't stop the river. He can't stop the river. How many people are grateful that it was a one-punch fight? When Jesus went to hell, it was a one-punch fight. Devil, I want the keys. No, I'm taking them. Devil defeated, Jesus victorious. Ding, ding, match over. The devil is defeated and Jesus has won. Somebody say amen in this place this morning. But then we find that the devil is standing on the shoreline. Why is that? Because he's literally saying, if I can't take, if I can't stop the river, then I'm gonna stop the fishing. If I can get believers not letting there being a fishing, if I can stop, if I can prevent the fishermen, if I can take out the fishermen, then everything can be right for the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. Yet nobody will find Jesus Christ if I can just stop the fishermen from fishing. And I reckon even in this room this morning, there are some fishermen who've been feeling a little bit attacked lately, feeling a little bit discouraged lately. And I want you to know that the devil doesn't want you and I fishing for men. He's gonna throw discouragement at you, intimidation at you. He's gonna try and come at our lives from every way. But God wants you to know that the real fight is over the fishing of men. And He wants us returning with nets that are overflowing with the greatest catch of fish a generation has ever seen. I believe we're entering the greatest days the church has ever been in. We're gonna see something amazing take place. God's got a great catch of fish for us. The shoreline is our mission. The shoreline is our mission. We're going to the shoreline. Come on, we're throwing in some nets. Young and old and rich and poor and functional and dysfunctional. We got a river with enough grace, a net that's big enough, a heart to care, a desire to love, a passion for our world. Come on, is anybody excited in this church this morning? Come on, give the Lord some praise in His house. Come on, come on, come on, lift up a great shout of praise. Come on, come on. Come on, Wellington, come on, Kepity, stand to your feet. And let's give a great ovation to our God who is leading us forward, who is leading us upward. He's got doors that are always open. Come on. Come on. This is our mission. It's to get that river that began on the cross of Calvary that goes deeper every step it gets from the temple into the life of every person in our community. That is our mission. People might be here this morning, perhaps in Capity, maybe here in Wellington, and you're literally saying to yourself, I don't know how I can do that. 
I mean, I'd love to be a fisherman on the shores, but I literally don't know a single non-Christian. I mean, maybe you are here like that. Or maybe you're feeling like there's something more that I need to do. Well, you know what? It's possible through every sporting fixture, every time you go to the gym, every, every interaction you have. But you know what? There's also things like Bible and schools. You know, as, as a church, this is for us, I feel a new season that we're entering into is to make sure that, you know, Bible and schools teachers are getting older while our church is getting younger. And I feel like God's saying, hey, church, how about you don't just look at that? How about you do something about that? So we've been talking to the people who run Bible and schools across the country and saying, what if we just started to encourage our congregation to engage in Bible and schools? Because, you know, we don't want the next generation of New Zealanders coming up without knowing that Jesus died for them, that the Bible is the Word of God. It's a huge opportunity. Um, Ivan will be out in the foyer. There's a big stand out there, isn't it? You can sign up today if you'd like to. Capity, I'm sure you can sign up as well. It's half an hour a week. You're just teaching Christian values, the Word of God, literally the gospel to students. It's a massive opportunity. And I, for one, don't want to see another Dominion Post front cover with a kid in a Catholic school uniform in a Zen meditation posture. We're going to do something to see a new generation of New Zealanders know that Jesus loves them. Come on, somebody. The dragon stands on the shoreline. There's a couple other things you can do. You can help with breakfast clubs and feed impoverished children a breakfast, help them go to school a good day. The next thing that you can do is open home foundation. You want to change your life? It takes time. Through the Open Home Foundation, healthy families within our church family might say once a month, we're going to take a kid who comes from a dysfunctional family and they can spend Saturday with us. I'm going to kiss mum on the cheek and treat her nicely and say good things about her as a dad. I'm going to spend quality time with all the kids. Because the way you cure dysfunction is you surround it by function. Leaving dysfunction in a corner doesn't work. Every bad thing left to itself tends to just grow. So you surround it by healthy things. And that's how we change it. But I reckon together God's called us to be on a mission.